Welcome to Life After Lockdown, a podcast that tries to imagine what life could look like in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm Derek here, a 54-year-old school teacher from the West Midlands, and I'll be your host for the next mm, 20 or so minutes. The current coronavirus pandemic looks unlikely to end anytime soon. In fact, the UK government has recently extended the national lockdown by a further three weeks. In that time, if deaths continue to occur in their hundreds, it's likely the government will simply continue to extend the lockdown until, in the words of the quote of the moment, the curve begins to flatten. At some point, though, the virus will disappear back to where it came from and the lockdown will finally end. This podcast is going to give a voice to ordinary people and their chance to, pre- to predict what life might look like after the lockdown has been lifted. This is our first episode, and up next, our first guest, John from Fife. Stay tuned. Right, our guest on the podcast today is John from Fife. Hello, John, how are you? Hi, good morning, Dana. I'm fine, thank you. Great, great. I'm going to begin with full disclosure. Uh, for this first episode, I'm interviewing a good friend. Uh, lazy journalism, I know, but since we're hundreds of miles apart and we rarely see each other, I'm interested in what you have to say on the current situation and how things might change for the better once this is all over. So, let's start at the beginning. Um, how has your daily working life been affected by the lockdown? Indeed, are you able to work or have you, are you one of the thousands who have been followed by their, employ, by their employers? No, I'm, I'm quite lucky that uh, my working tools are effectively a laptop uh, and I've got remote access. So, uh, I've always been able to um, work from home, or certainly for the you know, last umpteen years, I've been able to work from home. Uh, so, that has not stopped. Um, my employer, I worked for a, a, a large bank and uh, our employer, my employer, uh, decided to uh, ask us to work from home uh, before the government introduced their um, work at home restrictions or their, their, their mobility restrictions. So we were doing it already uh, in advance of that. Um, so not, not a massive change in terms of, you know, work still goes on. The big change has been I'm not seeing my colleagues on a day-to-day basis, etc. Uh, and we do have some colleagues who are uh, overseas who are slightly more impacted than, than we are in the UK. And uh, what way might they have been impacted? Could you elaborate on that? Yeah, so we've, we've got some colleagues in India and India went into lockdown at um, fairly short notice, um, which meant that for all of our colleagues who travelled into their office locations there, all of a sudden they had to um, try and um, make plans to work from home and uh, with the nature of uh, work in India um, it'd be similar to people travelling from Leicestershire or Scotland down to London every week and staying in a hotel or staying in a, in a rented room in London working there and then going home at the weekend. Um, we've got colleagues in India that do something similar, travel from their home hometowns into the main, um, the main cities, Bangalore, Chennai etc to work and then travel home at the weekend. So all of a sudden, it was been a bit of a problem for them trying to um, get themselves organised to be able to work from home. 
Right. Now, you mentioned, you know, the um, government lockdown there. With the benefit of hindsight, uh, do you think the government handled this crisis well? I think that's a difficult question because with the benefit of hindsight, you can always uh, you can always find fault. I think when you're when you're at the sharp end, you don't know exactly what's going to happen. Uh, there is a bit of guesswork going on, and I think what what we saw in this country was that the extent of the virus ramped up fairly quickly. Uh, it, it does seem to be the case at the moment that we're now struggling, or even more struggling now, to to get things like PPE for uh, for hospitals, etc. But when you look at some of the, the, the positive things that have been done, um, for example, emergency hospital sites being uh, created at the Excel Centre in London, and there's one in Birmingham as well, there's one at the SEC in Glasgow, um, for those to have been um, built in a very short space of time by the army and local contractors, I think that's a fantastic uh, effort on their parts. Right, thanks. Uh, now, on to the whole uh, point of this podcast, life after lockdown. Um, I want you to imagine that I'm the COVID-19 genie and I can grant you three wishes. Now, these wishes will allow you to make three changes in the way we live our life after the lockdown. The only catch is, one must be a political change you'd like to see, second one, an economic change, and the third one, a change to society. Which one would you like to start with, John? Uh, we'll start with the political change then. So the biggest positive step forward that I'd like to see after all of this is for political parties to collaborate more and work together more to get over a problem. So this is a massive problem uh, worldwide, and not just in the UK, obviously, but when we look at politics in the UK, politics in the United States, it seems to have become more and more polarised uh, over the years. Maybe that's just us getting older and looking at things slightly differently. Um, but politics is quite polarised. There, there are quite separate views, not just between parties, but also within some parties as well. So I think the way forward is, is, is true teamwork. We don't have football teams of 11 strikers. We've got football teams made up of defenders, midfielders, goalkeepers and, and, and strikers. So similarly, on a, on a political front, um, for us to have cross-party collaboration to solve a problem, would be a, a, a big step forward, not just solving a problem, but living our lives. That would be that, that would be a huge improvement. So how do you, how how would you see this coming about in practical terms? I mean, while you, while you've still got the first past the post system, you're always really going to have a party that's in government with a majority. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily agree with you there, Derek. Um, I think even with first past the post, you still need to get at least 50% of the seats to have the to have um, power, if you like. Um, so, you know, we could have, have, we've had a hung parliament in the last 15 years or so. Um, you know, there's there's no reason why we couldn't have that again. But I'm, I'm not just talking about the party that's in power. I'm talking about just generally how, how government works, how the local councils work. Local councils work a lot in a lot of, the, the, of occasions with cross-party um uh, collaboration on various committees, etc. We have that to an extent within within um, uh, UK Parliament as well, where um, there are um, crossbench MPs on on different uh, different working groups, for example. But why can the cabinet not comprise people from other parties? You know, who's to say that 
we've got the Conservatives in power just now, who's to say that it should only be Conservatives who are in the Cabinet? Why could the Conservative Prime Minister not pick somebody from Labour to be in his Cabinet? That's, that's a really, really good point and, and something that's actually being considered at the moment, isn't it, with the so-called national government that's being floated in the press? Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll bow to your superior knowledge on that one, but uh, yeah, I, don't, I don't see why... It, you know that, that's that's not something that should be should be ruled out. It, it would mean a lot of people having to um, compromise. Uh, some people will be dead set against it. Some people will be in favour of it. But I would see that as a as a step forward. Good, good. Right, so that's your political wish taken care of. What what would your next one be? Uh, you said. Uh, societal and economic didn't you so we'll go, we'll go for societal next so um, I think one of the things that we've seen uh, in recent weeks in the last few months is more um, uh, community spirit if you like so people being good Samaritans and, and helping their neighbours helping their local communities a bit more and clapping on a Thursday night for the NHS I think that um, that clap on a Thursday night for me represents not just saying thanks to the NHS, but saying thanks to um, all of our emergency services, all of our teachers who are still going into schools every day and looking after kids, uh, and, and anyone else who's still having to uh, still having to work to keep the country running. Um, there are a lot of sacrifices being made on a personal level. Um, we've seen some examples of that uh, on on TV, for example, with you know individuals. Um, you know, maybe their families celebrating their, their their loved ones when they come back from work, for example, or uh, you know the, the 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 local police turning out with their, with a, a fleet of cars to wish happy birthday to a, a young child in the street, for example. So lots of uh, lots of nice positive examples. So it'd be be good to see things like that continuing. You know, we shouldn't all go back into our little holes after this is all over and 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 retreat and uh, and start to navel gaze again and and. Uh, and, and think that we are the most important thing. I think you know the sense of community is is uh, is strong. We should we should nurture that. Yep, I hope so. I think that I agree with you. I think it's been good to go out on a Thursday night and see your neighbours and take part in something. Um, you know whether or not we can you know rekindle that spirit after this is all over. I think is a big question. Yeah, indeed, I would I would agree with that. I think there's. There will be challenges to to maintaining it, but I think you know we've we've seen it happening recently. Uh, our um, predecessors, our parents and grandparents, uh, would have seen it through the the Second World War and you know after the end of the Second World War, and maybe this is another uh, turning point, if you like, for for society and and uh, in, in that kicking off again. Yeah, let's hope so. Now, there's been eye-watering amounts of money thrown at this problem by the Chancellor, Rishi Sunak. And, you know, working in finance, I know you've just said you're probably not directly involved in the finance side of it these days, but what economic change do you think should come out of the um, COVID crisis? I think one, one of the things that I've found interesting, um, or what appears to be uh, the case anyway, which is interesting, is perhaps how... Um, how unprepared people are for economic shocks. I'm talking people generally, um, and you know, I'm at a good stage in life where I'm, you know, and I'm, I'm in my fifties. I've been working my whole life. I'm, I'm, I'm 
you know, it's been quite advantageous um, for me that, you know, I'm in a, in a good position, for example, but how many people can, can withstand an economic shock? So if I lost my job tomorrow, um, would I have enough uh, savings stuck away to tide me over three months or six months until I get another job? Um, I'm lucky that I do, but a lot of people don't. Uh, so, you know, it's uh, how, how do we change that? How do we um, encourage saving, for example? How do we um, encourage the willingness to save? How do we support people and support businesses when we have an economic shock like this? And, you know, it's not just um, supporting individuals in, in terms of saving, but supporting businesses as well. A lot of businesses um, obviously just run on cash flow uh, and don't have... Um, don't have reserves put away for a for a rainy day. Um, so how do we how do we change that? How do we try and change that or, or try and support that? I think the some of the steps that the government has introduced to me have been um, very very radical and and on the face of it seem seem very generous. Um, I'm not sure if if the UK Chancellor has been more generous and more um, benevolent than than some of his uh, counterparts overseas. I don't know. Um, but he does seem to have been, um, you know, he's, he's, he's trying certainly to um, to help businesses in the UK and that by extension um, to the Scottish government as well. I know there's been a little bit of a difference between some of uh, between the UK government and the Scottish government in terms of some of the, the business support that's been offered. Um, and thankfully, we're now seeing things changing a wee bit in Scotland and, and the push strings are getting loosened a wee bit more uh, in Scotland as well. Um, so... You know, economically, is the government the lender of the last resort? No, the Bank of England is, um, but the government is, is certainly uh, helping to, to ease things for for people and businesses. And that's a, you know, how do we how do we lessen the reliance on government's ability or, or need to do that and, and put that more um, in our own hands as individuals and as, as and as business owners. It's interesting for those of our listeners who don't understand how how businesses you know operate. It seems to be the big businesses I'm talking here about companies like Virgin, who have been going cap in hand to the government. Surely they're not just existing on cash flow. Where why have they not got the reserves to to get think, through this I think crisis? Some companies do, and, you know. Undoubtedly, there will be companies who are um, who are taking advantage of schemes that the government has introduced deliberately so that they're not depleting their own reserves. So I, I would agree with you. Uh, you know, I, would, I would think there, there are a, a lot of companies in that boat. And then you've got companies like um, British Airways, for example. So that, British Airways probably carries a huge amount of debt uh, in terms of some of its lending commitments, its borrowing commitments for, for planes and engines, etc. Has it got reserves to tied over having its whole fleet stuck on the on the ground for, for three months or six months. I don't know the answer to that, but um, there will be some companies who do have big reserves, but because the, because the government has introduced the ability for them to furlough staff and pay up to 80% of their wages, for example, they're taking advantage of it. We've seen some football clubs, a lot of football clubs doing that. Some of them will need to, some small clubs um, will definitely need to because they don't have, they don't have the income, but bigger clubs like Liverpool, Man City, etc. Seen a, a, a huge about turn from Liverpool in the last couple of weeks, where they were going to to furlough um, some of their their employees, and all of a sudden, big PR backlash, and they've had to change their minds and decide not to. So, 
Yeah, yeah. Right, so that's the, the serious part of the, the uh, podcast done. Let's, let's look at a bit more lighthearted now. Um, on the podcast, we're calling it LL Day, Lockdown Lifted Day. What do you think LL Day in the UK will look no, like? Let me let me stay serious for a wee minute because I don't think there will be an LL Day as such. I think that I think that would be reckless if the government turned around and said, right, all of a sudden, first of June, everyone can go back to normal. I don't think it will work like that. I think it will be a phased return to normality. So I think we'll see perhaps schools going back first of all. We'll see other businesses reopening, like DIY stores and garden centres and small gift shops or you know whatever it may be. They'll, they'll phase the return to work for, for people and, and return to, to normal life for people before they lift travel restrictions. I think what, one of the last things that we'll see will be the likes of me going back into the office, for example, because I think it will be a case of if you're able to work from home, you should continue to work from home just to minimise the, the risk of, uh, of, of, uh, of the disease spreading again, of the virus spreading again. Uh, and I think if they do it in a controlled manner, I think we'll see fairly early on whether there's an uptick in in, uh, in the spread of the virus, and then it'll be easier to put us back into lockdown, uh, if you like, to to try and contain it again. So, um, what will it be like when it's all over, when we're coming back towards normality? I think people will be. Um, it, it will feel as if you're coming out into the sunshine after hibernating for six months. I think people will want to uh, go out and do things. I think people will want to spend money. I think they'll want to see their friends and family. Um, I think they'll want to celebrate uh, the fact that they are free to do what they want to do again. Yeah, I would agree with that. And um, finally, what's the first thing that you'll do when this is all over and all the restrictions have been lifted? The first thing I'll do uh, is go and visit my mum because I've not been able to see my mum for the last six weeks. So she's only about twenty miles away in in, in Edinburgh, uh, but she is in a in a care home in a nursing home, and they went into lockdown uh, before the government introduced their their restrictions. So I've not seen my mum for about six weeks. So that's probably the first thing that I'll do, uh, and then on the way home from visiting my mum, I'll probably stop off and get a fish supper and a ninety nine somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds good. Classic Scottish um, diet there. Well, um, um, I hope, hope your mum is well, and I hope everyone else in your family is well and stay safe. It's been it's been a pleasure having you as our first guest on Life After Lockdown. Thank you, Derek. It's been a pleasure to participate, and uh, wish you all the best. My first interview with one of the many millions of ordinary Britons affected by this crisis. I think you'll agree that John spoke a lot of sense. If you want to hear more from the show, then please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Anchor. And if you think that you've got something to say about life in Britain post-lockdown, then we might want to be interviewed for the podcast and follow the show on Twitter at LockdownAfter. Contact us with your details. Production assistance for the show was from Campbell Air, who also wrote the music for the show, which you're now hearing in the background. Check out his band The Creature Appeal on Apple Music, Amazon Music, Spotify, or wherever you stream your sounds from. Remember, until next week, the lockdown will end. What's important is, 
what will life after lockdown look like?